God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Also, if you're a fan of the show, please subscribe, rate it, and leave a one to two sentence review on iTunes or wherever else you can give it a little push. It helps the show reach more listeners, plus it means a lot to me because I read them and it's nice to read nice things. Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. Thank you all for being here. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Elizabeth Brooks Oakley to the show. Elizabeth is a speech-language pathologist. She is the founder of Magnolia Speech Therapy in Burbank, California, where she serves both pediatric and adult clients, particularly those with voice disorders or stuttering challenges. Her newest endeavor is the founding of SoundPath, where she focuses on a holistic approach to voice therapy, vocal training, and overall wellness by incorporating sound and vibrational therapies alongside her prior techniques. I met Elizabeth through family friends, and very quickly in conversation, it became clear that she not only has a great interest in the subject of spirituality, but a unique history to help color her point of view. I'm thrilled to have her here. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, that's a nice. That's nice. It's nice to hear someone talk about you from another pr- perspective. Yeah. Can I borrow you, that? Bio? Did that make you feel good? Here, take the. Oh, I'll give you the piece of paper when I'm done. I'm gonna write down some notes occasionally when I don't want to forget something. Um, no, that's great. You're not the first person to say that. Uh, Hallie said that too. I think there's there is something nice about like having your achievements read. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, we should almost, I wonder if we should start doing that to each other. Like, make friends just, of yours just, like, start just, handing out business cards oh, of, like, totally. your achievements. Yeah, or just call you in the morning. Hey, Nicholas, I just want to <laughs> remind you of your achievements that you've had this past year. Maybe you know? someday phones, voicemails will mm-hmm. start to recognize people's numbers. Mm. And you can have, like, specific voicemails for specific people. Yes. And then your voicemails can just be like affirmations of the person. I love like I'm that. sorry that I missed your call, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. I want you to know that I love you. Here are the things about you that, that I think I really, are extraordinary. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, this is a good idea. I don't actually think that that's a bad idea. Yeah, let's, I feel pretty good about let's it. Let's market that one. All right, good. <laughs> um, Elizabeth, I want you to know that I took pains to say particularly. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, particularly is one of those words that's very hard for me to say quickly. A lot of times just particular, particular, you know, I start to do that. I can't get the R do if I go again, too fast. Do it again. Particularly. <laughs> <laughs> but I became a li- I was like reading this. I was like, I'm going to take the time to really hit particularly. Yeah, most people change it to specifically. Oh. It's just easier. It is easier, but right. it loses something, right? Yeah, it what does. does it lose? I don't know. Particularly has a pointed edge, maybe. Yeah, it has like an. It has some mm-hmm. attitude. It has some kind of pizzazz to mm. it, or something like. Particularly this. Mm-hmm. Specifically, this feels more uh, diagnosing or something. Yeah. All right. Well, I, like I don't it. know. Yeah. We'll see what I the, like this linguist the lesson yeah. the <laughs> listeners have to say. Okay. It's great to have you here. Thank what you. did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh yeah. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was like, have you eaten I know, a meal I know. yet I'm, today? I'm like, I have. I have. I didn't really. Elizabeth is a mother and a wife and she's very busy. So it wouldn't surprise me if you've forgotten to eat. Yeah, I didn't eat much. My, I know I can tell you what my kids ate. Like they had, you know, a muffin and a waffle and smoothie and juice and snack bar and all of those things before 7 a.m., right? I was like, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> snack bar is really funny. I understand what you mean now because like for a second, 
what you mean is it's like a little kid power bar. Yeah. But what, what for a second I was like, did you provide them an entire snack bar? Is that what That's, you're saying? Yeah, like, like it was actually probably was. It was laid out like a bar. Here's all of your options. But I, I mean, we do, we do the celery juice thing. So we all do it as a family. Oh, how fun. The so kids dig it now? They'll do it. They'll do it. I mean, yeah. they don't love it, but they do. They feel like it makes, I mean, they, they, I think they feel better. I don't know. Andrea loves uh, to do smoothies and yeah. they do smoothies together. Yeah. So that's cool. So I do celery juice and smoothie and I'm back on coffee. I used to be like a matcha tea person. And then this life phase, I'm just going to go back to coffee for a little while. I, I think you know this. We do, I do both. I do matcha first then I run it right. I run right back over that nice, easy yeah. matcha <laughs> with like five <laughs> cups of coffee. <laughs> Matcha is essentially just like trying to find my pole position in the mm, race. Yes. And then once I know where my pole position is, I'm able to adjust. Do I need two cups of coffee today or yeah, four? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it just depends on where my pole position was. Yeah, and I will now hit coffee later in the day, which I didn't used to do That's before. That's not as fun though, isn't it? No, it's more just out of necessity. Yeah. You just get a little weird at it the end of the day. It doesn't feel as good though. Yeah. It, like that one, I get agitated when, mm-hmm. I, when I need coffee in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this isn't a good choice. No, it's not. It generally isn't. I know. (laughs) But you, um, so one of the things you're going to be talking about today Mm -hmm. is you're at some point here, we might as well just start right now. You have a holistic centered lifestyle, not entirely, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, but you, you, what you're intimating to me just in the conversation we just had is you float back and forth between allowing yourself some things. You're a little, you're making fun of yourself a little bit. Like, you know, I'm having coffee now. It's like as if coffee is... The worst thing. I mean, you're right. talking to like 90% of the American right. Somebody, one public of my friends drinks coffee. The other day just said, like, it's hot bean juice. Like, yeah. how, how bad can it be? <laughs> yeah, right? That's good. Like, how long have you had an holistic centered approach to your life? Did you have a discovery at some point? Um, you know, we actually, this actually ties in pretty well to some of our conversations. So, yeah, we, I mean, actually, we, I don't usually start right here, but go. Yeah, we grew up um, vegetarian. So Both your parents. We did. We all started that way because my parents got involved in the Seventh-day Adventist church, and that's primarily vegetarian. Wonderful. So for the first four to five years of my life, I was vegetarian, and then we left that. And I'm pretty sure that the break was like a moment when we went through like a McDonald's drive-thru, and I had a chicken McNugget, and I was like, oh, I don't think we're ever going back for a while. Wow, wow. (laughs) But then I came back to sort of vegetarianism and veganism back in, in high school and college, and then have sort of been off and on through that. So I would say that's sort of a more just been into health and wellness since then. Can you even like venture <clears throat> apologies? <clears throat> hum. Hmm. Yeah, that's mm, right. Well, I humming. should be doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, and I you know, look, I, mm. I've been doing that for years. Improperly. I've been for years I've been doing that <laughs> improperly. I've been told that so many times. Did I ever tell you, did we know each other when I lost my voice? No. I totally lost my voice once. I was at a friend's wedding the mm-hmm. night before they had a karaoke. Mm. And I sang What It Takes by Aerosmith, which if you remember that mm. song, I mean, anybody trying to see, sing Steven Tyler yeah. is gonna, I mean, Steven Tyler blows out his own yeah. voice. I drank way too much. And I, I, by the end of that song, I could not make noise. Mm. And for a year, I went down a road of like not knowing what to do. And then I discovered Alexander Technique, and that got me into relaxing certain things that I didn't know how to relax. But what has happened is being around a speech pathologist has reminded me just once again that when I cough that out of my throat that way, I am damaging myself a little bit, right? Well, I love what you said about you learned Alexander Technique. You didn't go to like a voice therapist. You learned Alexander Technique. 
Did you or did you? Well, I did. This is a good question. I did um, actually. So I went to a doctor. Mm -hmm. I did go to a speech. I don't feel like it would have been someone in your position. You're a different style. I don't. I went to people that were helping me. One person that was putting a scope down my throat to see. Yes. A laryngologist. Yes, that's right. I did do that. Mm -hmm. He did not recommend I have any type of procedure. Mm -hmm. It was not. It was mostly through that process I discovered that, yes, there was some damage, but there wasn't like nodes that were so strong. Right. It was mainly that I was using my voice improperly. Right. Which is something I still do Mm -hmm. uh, by habit. But when I perform, I've learned now, having gone to Alexander Technique, I have trained myself to be better at it. But anyway, it's like, I don't even think, I didn't even think about this, but I, it's reminding me about what your experience is. You came out of the acting world. Mm-hmm. How long were you performing? Um, you know, I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles. So right. everybody, it seemed to, to me at the time that all of, we were all sort of taking acting classes or I had friends that were booking series. And my mother actually didn't let me be an actor. Like we had meetings with managers and agents and she would never let me sign because she never wanted me to go that route as a child. Were either of your parents in the business? Uh, No, my father was a musician and a pianist, but he didn't do that by trade. He did radio. Oh, Um, cool. Okay. So so you come from a kind of voice-centered family. Yes, for sure. Interesting. For sure. Um, so he was super concerned about He was a const- constantly aware of his voice, how oh, he sounded. all the time. And he did incredible impersonations, too. Wow, so, how fun. Yeah, so he could, you know, and he, he played music by ear. He taught himself piano at age three. And so that was just already... He taught himself piano, taught himself at, piano, age piano at age three? So there were some, you know, there's some musical gifts in his family. He was like the one of five boys, and they all sang together and harmonized together at the church. And um, I think he taught himself, or I think he told me once, or my mom told me, he taught himself piano to get out from under the eye of my grandmother, who was very particular about how the boys sang. So he thought if he could just accompany that he would just, she would just leave him alone. Wow. I I read this in the bio that you sent me that he got you and your sister, you just have, you have one sister, right? One sister, yeah. And you and your sister would harmonize in the car and he would get you all singing the three mm-hmm. of you or would yeah. your mother ch- chime my mother in too? too yeah. yeah yeah so the, all four of you'd be harmonizing yeah. together oh, yeah. and it was singing super fun. how fun yeah so you have this right from the beginning of your life you're introduced to a world where someone knows how to take care of their voice knows how to do interesting things with their voice mm-hmm. he clearly had a lot of experience had probably gone through a great deal of training himself not really no with the voice stuff no he just kind of fell into radio mm-hmm yeah he was he just himself. born with was, an amazing yes, voice? Yes. Is that like yes. part of the deal? Like somebody just ran into him one day and they're like, your voice I mean, is amazing. He was working in small, he was working in Tennessee and Atlanta. It was difficult for when he, when they moved back to Los Angeles, it was difficult for him to get into radio. And I would hear him like prepping for auditions and he would be, and now the news, you know, and like just, wow, ch- you know, do all of these wonderful. things. And um, he didn't really continue that endeavor once they moved back to Los Angeles and once they had children and I think that affected him in some ways because that was sort of a creative outlet for him. He he was a depressed person. He was a, an alcoholic, um, mm. incredibly charming person, you know, like sort of has that uh, Robin Williams mania, like funny guy who everybody loved and thought was amazing, but also had this very deep, dark area that he that we would see as his family. Wow. So, yeah. Well, we're, we're going to circle back to that mm-hmm. in a second. Yeah. You know, you've already answered this question, how and when were you introduced to the idea mm-hmm. of God in your mm-hmm. life? So when did your parents become Seventh-day Adventists? Yeah, ask my mom that. So they moved back to Los Angeles. They were living in Inglewood area, and they found this church. And my mom said my dad was always like a seeker. He always wanted to find 
more, find the meaning, find it. And he mm-hmm. would just keep looking. And they came from, you know, Southern Baptist, uh, different, more strict uh, dogmatic religion. I missed this. Where were they born? My mother lived in Los Angeles. My father lived in Tennessee. They were both from Tennessee. They Their families knew each other. They didn't meet until later. They got married and they stayed in Tennessee and Atlanta. And then the two of them moved back to California and my mother's family was here. I see. Okay, so that's cool. when they had me. And so they got involved in the Seventh-day Adventist church there and um, they moved to Eagle Rock uh, right before I was born. Um and they got involved in the Glendale Seventh-day Adventist Church there. So um, that's how they got involved into it. And they were actively involved, I think, for about, I think until I was like five, maybe. What relationship and age is your sister to She's you? She's four years younger than I am. So around five. So you have some early memories, but mm-hmm. did they maintain like vestiges of their Seventh-day Adventist faith after they kind of left practicing it? Because you're saying they stopped practicing when Mm. you turned five, but they, did they go do something else? So, uh, interesting story on that, because I had to talk to my mom about this. This is my memory of why we stopped going. I remember I was sent a Bible, either by my grandmother or it was lying around. And in my mind and in my imagination, it was this little My Precious Moments Bible. Do you remember those characters? They were kind of chubby and cute. And so they had pictures within the Bible. And I would look at the pictures and I would read. And I remember going to like Sunday school and singing about Jesus and all of this stuff. And then I remember one day taking a Bible, which I don't believe was that Bible, and I'll tell you why in a minute, to my dad of somebody in a fire burning hell, like a depiction of, of, a, of a person burning in hell in this Bible. And I was so traumatized by it. This is my memory of it. I was so traumatized. I remember my dad taking it, getting so incredibly angry. I think he either tore it or he threw it away. And in my memory, that's when we stopped going to church. Wow. Yeah. He did not want me to have that fear that I was going to burn in hell. Yeah. (laughs) So that was my memory. So I have this memory because I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have this conversation with you. So I went on uh, eBay, and I got that Bible. You found a copy of it? Well, I found a copy of what I thought the Bible was, and it didn't have that picture in it. But it did, for me, looking back, have looking at it now had some like sort of disturbing images, like little children hiding under beds. And, you know, looking terrified and the caption is, you can't hide from God. Um, And so for me, those are the kind of the kind of imagery that I remember sitting with. It was I was so tortured by at a young age. And I know that my dad just did not want me to have that. But that's not why he was going. Right. I'm going to pause right here because this is a really annoying beep. You said you talked to your mother about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did she what did she say about about what that experience was? From their point of view. Yeah, from her. She said she doesn't really remember that. When I started talking, she was like, you know, I think your grandmother, my father's mother, might have sent a Bible that might have actually had an image like that in there. And he had such a tumultuous relationship with his mother that it just sort of sent him on this other spiral of like, I'm not going to engage in anything that you want me to engage in. I don't know. I don't know. Can we talk about your dad? Yeah. So raised in a Southern Baptist church, you said that he had a difficult relationship with his mother about it. Mm -hmm. What was his relationship to his father? Also difficult. My father grew up in an incredibly, um, they were very poor. 
it was just not a healthy environment. It was very toxic, alcoholism, all of the things that you can think of when someone grows up in that environment. And um, I don't even know if they were so active in a church, but they were very active in the idea of sort of a... Sounds like the punishment aspect of Very much, of very much into that. And those were the messages that were given to them from a very young age. Yeah. How many brothers and sisters did he have? He had four brothers. They come from a small town? Mm-hmm, yeah. Wow. And so your mother also connected to that area somehow mm-hmm. through her family, mm-hmm. but she was raised mostly in L.A. Yeah, she was raised up until, I believe, like middle school, elementary school. They moved back to Tennessee, and then they moved back. So she had a lot more time in Los Angeles, yeah. Have you ever gone to Tennessee? I have. Yeah? I have. To see that family? I have. Yeah. I don't speak to them. Yeah. Um, we do, I mean... We have very different lifestyles and very different points of view. And I actually actually have a half-brother from my dad's first marriage, and I don't speak to him. Wow. Um, so the only way I know how to describe it is that there is such a world of judgment. There's just walls that couldn't be broken. Hmm. This is a good place, actually, to stop. Okay. And we're going to get back into the next part of the story in just okay. a second. <laughs> everyone we're back with Elizabeth we ended on a heavy note it's a heavy time in your life chronology as we talk about this section and something that listeners probably keyed in on is that there's some tragedy surrounding your father and if you don't mind could you tell me a little bit about what that experience was when you were a teenager and this extraordinary event that would have obviously shaped you. Sure, so and I got to just preface this. I haven't talked about this in a number of years, you know. So I grew up in a, a fairly, you know, my father was, like I said, he was kind of like this Robin Williams, Jim Carrey caricature of a human, you know, mm. incredibly energetic, very funny, very talented, but then had like these demons that sort of haunted him. So it would result in um, trying to numb through alcohol, um, you know, self-sabotaging behaviors. And so... My father, you know, grew up in this, I grew up in a very tumultuous time where I was never entirely sure what, what person I was going to get when I was at home, wow. right? And to, and to love someone and for all of those things that they are, but also be very terrified. Wow. <laughs> right? I mean, not, a, not an amazing thing to grow up with. No, that's not um, scary. You know, and he um, attempted suicide several times. Wow. Um, and the first time that I knew about was when I was 12, and when I, when I was 12, my mother, when, my, when I was 10, my mother left him and we moved to um, Pasadena. And his response to that, I think, was to, to attempt to take his own life again. And um, we were told in the hospital that he was going to die. And so we were told, this is, this is what's going to happen. He's in a coma. He's going to die. And so I prepared myself at 12, like, okay, this is it. He's going to die. We went to visit him. And... Uh, my sister and I were around him, and they were not getting any vital signs, and we started singing to him. And then, I mean, this is—it sounds like a movie, right? But like, his vitals started to come back. I mean, he was able to sort of squeeze and let us know that he could hear us and that kind of thing. And Holy. then he came out of this coma, and we're, after we were told he was not going to, and then came out of this coma, you know, which started down the road of rehab and. Uh, 
other things. And so for for many years um, before I left for college, like there was, you know, he was in different programs or maybe he wasn't, but um, there was that period of time where he was around. So I did develop somewhat of a relationship with him. Um, Your parents stayed separated that They whole stayed time. separated, but they were very, you know, they loved each other very much. And that was a very clear thing. It was not healthy for them to be together. My mom was in relationships with other people, um, but they still loved each other very much. Mm. Um, so uh, after I went to college, it was like December of when I was in college. So I was a freshman at college. I went Where to New York. New York. So I was, you know, 3,500 miles away. And then uh, one one day my mom showed up at the NYU dorms and didn't call you and didn't she... call someone had called before and said I want to make sure that you're in the in the dorm and I didn't really listen because I was like don't tell me what to do I'm in New York and I'm now on my own right yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but my mom showed up and I instantly knew that she was there to tell me that my my father had successfully taken his own life wow um, my actually my first instinct was like is my sister okay right, <laughs> right. right? Um, for some reason but um right but then I knew and it was almost like watching someone go through grief because you're 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 like I don't even know how to process this sort of thing, and you have a you have a room full of people watching you receive this. Yeah, message, that's not cool, right? Like, or that must not have been it cool. Was just, I can it was imagine. Just very, it was a very surreal time, and because uh, it's not just your mother, you're saying like other other so people from the university. Yeah, people are watching me receive this news, and like, how could they not? My mom walks in, and I. I see her walking into my dorm. I'm like, what are you doing here? Huh? Oh, 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 oh. You're not here for, oh, okay. You know, very tragic, very tragic. You know, in retrospect, some of the hardest part for me was that those, those few months when I was in New York were such, were some of the happier times of my life. I was away. I was doing what I loved. I had all of these friends. And then, so you, you go before and then you go after, Right. I remember the university being like, if you want to take a leave and you don't want to be here anymore, that's fine. And I was like, why would I want to do that? Like, why would, you know, why would I want to punish myself for what just happened? Right. So I stayed and um, it was still difficult, though, because, you know, then you have this sort of stigma. Oh, that's the girl whose father killed himself. My goodness. And like, you don't want to live with that. And so for a while, I would talk about it. I would deal with it. But we're talking about young kids. You know, I was 17. I just or just turned 18, not a lot of people know how to have those conversations or, or how, to, how, to, how to even talk to someone like that. So it becomes very isolating. You know, I would go, I would go to therapy. And here's the thing. My mother was really good when we were growing up, sort of introducing us to therapy or, or even alternative methods. So I knew about Feldenkrais when I was like what is that? 10. Feldenkrais is like an Alexander body movement technique oh, that works gosh. with trapped emotions in the body and all of these things. So I was oh very much, so she would let me um, learn about massage or acupuncture, all of these sort of alternative healing modalities, um, talk therapy, any of these kinds of things to sort of help us as children work through all of the difficult things that we had gone through earlier in our lives. I mean, that's obviously a wonderful awareness on your mother's part Yes, to help give you tools and introduce you to tools that she couldn't have possibly predicted exactly what you would need them for, but she was already opening you to, to being fluid about finding what you needed in, in life. Yeah. Um, whatever tools that made sense to you. Yeah. Was there something in particular that you were gravitating to at that time? Did you lean on one thing in particular at that time? Um, no, I'm not really. I mean, I tried therapy. It was, it was a hard thing, you know? I mean, there wasn't really any, I didn't really have very good tools. Yoga. 
I mean, I had started picking up yoga, and that was something that was sort of like a physical practice that was introduced, and I would do it. So exercise, yoga. Right, a way to get out of your head. Right, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, in some ways, kind of a more of addictive ways, right? Mm. Like going through periods of time where I don't really want to talk to anybody. I just want to work out. But like... I'm familiar with this. I have friends who are addicted, have been addicted to running, friends that have blown out you know, hips yeah. and they will tell me, you know, yeah, I was, frankly, I was a little addicted. I was running too mm -hmm. much. And that was something that you started to become aware of in yourself that maybe, even though it's on a healthier mm. side of the addiction scale, mm -hmm. as far as the ways you could treat your body, you started noticing addictive tendencies in yourself at that sure. time. Sure, um, and you're you're seeking endorphins. You're in, you're seeking neurotransmitters. You're seeking dopamine. You're seeking serotonin. I threw myself into the work a lot, so it's interesting to be going to be grieving in a in a space where you're in an acting conservatory, yeah. right? So you're getting to deal with um, a myriad of emotions through the work that you're doing. But then I, you know, I recall overhearing someone being like, oh, she's so good at that part because her dad killed herself. You know, wow. like, like you don't, you don't even get to own your work at that point. You're like, wow. well, thank you so much, <laughs> you know? So that stuck with me for a while. And then I just stopped talking about it. I just stopped dealing with it altogether. So I would throw myself into the work or I would throw myself into sort of, how can I make myself a better person? I did not turn towards any sort of um, previous religious or spiritual experiences. Yoga was the sort of newer experience that I didn't realize at the time would be so influential um, in the path moving forward because through that physical practice, you get introduced to what the, sort of the ancient philosophies are behind the physical practice, which is not really about the physical practice. It's about learning to be in the moment or learning to connect to something greater than yourself. Mm. So the asanas of yoga practice is just a physical thing, but really how are you trying to calm your brain and, and calm your mind? Have you maintained your relationship to yoga ever yes. since? Yes, I have. It's on and off and it's a personal sort of experience. But like I, you know, people are like, oh, did you practice today? Well, yeah, I try and practice every day. Do I do the physical asanas every day? No, not every day. Yeah. But I try to find that calmness or meditation or those kinds of things every day. Wow. Elizabeth, what a moment. So you finish your schooling at mm -hmm. NYU. You complete mm -hmm. the degree, mm -hmm. the conservatory. Mm -hmm. You stayed in New York for how long? Or did you stay there? Did you come back to LA? I stayed for a little bit. Um, like tried then, to, you know, pounded the pavement for a little oh, while. Oh yeah, I did that, then... you know, some tours and things like that. And then, but I was a, very much in a self-sabotaging phase. I did not believe in myself at that time. Okay. I did not believe in my own ability to succeed as a performer. And also it was very hard, you know. A lot of my friends that were out working also had a, you know, I was in completely financially independent. Um, so I felt very alone and I just did not have that confidence. And I came back to Los Angeles and and tried to sort of investigate old connections and work that way. Um, and then it ultimately just was like, I want to do something where I can help people. Mm. I mean, that's what I want to do. I want to help people. <laughs> so, um, and I want to do something where all of the hard work that I am investing in is somehow going to pay off for somebody. So I was in that. And I came back to Los Angeles also to sort of repair the relationship with my sister because she felt completely abandoned. She was 14 at the time that my dad died. And um, wow. she didn't have a way to, to deal with that herself. And she went through her own challenges, um, you know, and her mental state wasn't amazing. So I came back because I wanted her to know, too, that I was there for her. Do you have a moment in your life where you crossed a threshold in dealing with this tragedy? Yes. 
Yes, I do. And I just realized there is a tie in here. You know, for a long time, I've been working on the idea of forgiving my father for what he did, you know, and then also like having these things. Well, how do you how do you reconcile being in this sort of abusive um, early stages of your childhood, but yet somebody that you love and you're so grateful for some of the gifts that they've given you? Like, how do you reconcile that? How do you forgive someone for giving up? Right. Like, how do you how do you do that? And so I would go through all of these definitions of like forgiveness. And finally, one hit me and I don't remember where I heard it or read it, but it was the idea of like, I give back to you your stuff. I forgive you. I give you back your stuff. It's not my thing. Right. So like that is you. Yeah. So I don't remember. I'm going to write that down. Somebody brilliant breaking down the word. (laughs) Hey, man, (laughs) you're brilliant for remembering it. Yeah, I like that. Breaking down the word forgive. Right. Like I'm not responsible for I don't have to feel like this. I don't have to somehow be like it's okay or but it is now. But truthfully, truth be told, we have a mutual friend, Dave Muller, who um He was just on the show. He was just on the show. We were talking, and he said that he photographed a um, a psychic medium. And we were talking about it, and he's like, she seems pretty cool. And I was like, you know, I've always wanted to do that. And so he's like, okay, here's her. Here's her information. And I don't believe he's done it. But he was like, here she is. She's just a cool cool woman. You should call it. And I did. I'd always sort of felt like I have a connection to my father in different ways, and I wanted to sort of sort of just go to this route to see what would happen. And I have to tell you, it was a life-changing event for me. It is probably the moment where I was able to truly say that I'm okay with everything that's happened. You know, I don't know if you've ever done any kind of reading or mediumship or anything like that. Okay, I had, no. I've, I've done like some tarot stuff, mm-hmm. but like this is different. Yeah. Tell me about okay. it. Okay, so. Hold on, what time is it? Okay, okay. Let's take a break. Yeah. And let's then do we'll it. start this at the beginning of the yeah. next break. Okay. Okay. I can't wait. Okay. Okay, everybody, we're back with Elizabeth, and she is just about to tell us about an experience she had with a psychic medium Mm -hmm. that changed her life. Mm -hmm. And I've never heard anyone talk about an experience like this, so I'm thrilled to get to hear it. Yeah. So when you call a medium... If I believe if they are someone who is a legitimate medium, and I don't even know what that means because I have to say something. I'm a huge skeptic, but I'm also a huge believer in the mystic. So uh, let me just say that. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I'll be I honest, mean, like, the, know, the, like the, the statement <laughs> seems incongruous, right? Right, it does. It but, really but, does. But I also know you to be, you're very thoughtful. You presented a lot of really, you clearly are an intellectual person. You presented a lot of extraordinary events in a well laid out, thoughtful way, you've done a lot of reflection on this stuff. You clearly think a lot about this stuff, but it's also fascinating to hear that you're about to talk about a mystical side of you. Mm -hmm. I I knew that there were, I didn't quite know where these 
pockets in your being were. You mm -hmm. had talked about holistic approaches and mm -hmm. different vibrational therapies, things like this that you're, mm -hmm. you're working with. So part of what you're doing now is in some way inspired by this experience, I wonder. I would and say so. You know, I used to always call, I, I would have a fair amount of feeling that I was somehow connected to something greater. And, uh, you know, I know that the, the conventional thing is to call all of this stuff woo-woo, right? And I'm now really far away from calling stuff woo-woo because I really just think that it's an easy way to say, I don't understand and I don't want to, and I don't want to do that anymore. It's amazing because <laughs> what's amazing about this for me is that Paul James is somebody I just had on the show. Paul is the first person who even heard, who even told me about woo woo. I hadn't even oh. heard the phrase. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, but also I live in like I don't know. My I'm not well connected in certain things. I think, but like I'd never even heard the term until recently because oh. he was like, you know, my mom is into a lot of woo woo stuff, and here you are telling me like, look, woo woo is demeaning. It is a demeaning. It feels like it's being used in a derogatory way, right? Absolutely. I, I think it is because it implies that somehow you have more knowledge about something than someone else, and I'm really now getting into my years where I'm like, I don't know. I don't think that anybody's better than anybody else. I think there are certain fundamental truths that we can all live by. But if you're gonna tell me. That 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 person is a psychic medium and, uh, and, and you don't believe in it, that's fine. But like, you're also closing the door off of something that maybe you just don't have the experience to, to know. Right. Excellent. Okay. Tell so, me about the experience. Okay. So you don't even have to give your real name. You don't have to give your last name. It was over the phone, which is even more remarkable, right? Because the idea is that you're tapping into, um, a world of information that's, that exists. So I call her, I don't even, I gave her my name, my first name. That was it. I had a notebook and a pen ready. It was an hour long and I mostly just wrote. And she was able to identify very quickly. She said, you know, there's a few people coming in, but this person's coming in. It's, it's, this is over the phone. This is over the phone. It feels like a father. And she would, she would say, don't tell me anything unless I ask for confirmation. It feels like a father or a grant. No, if it's a father, it's a, is it a father? Has your father passed? Right. And then she sits and she works this out and I'm hearing her work it out. She goes, okay, so he's in, he's, he's not. Okay. So he's in a car, but he's, he didn't have a car accident. He didn't, there's metal, but this is showing. And then she goes, she goes, I'm so sorry, Elizabeth. Um, he's showing me he took his own life. You know, I mean, this is the thing. And this is not a Googleable thing. You know, and I'm not a celebrity with my information all over the place. And even if you wanted to, you can't find this stuff, right? Yeah. So, and I said, yeah, that, that is, that is true. And he did, he died in a car. You know, he took his own life in a car and that was how he was found. So all of these things were tracking. And so this is the first thing. And I, of course I tell my husband, Josh, and he was like, what did you tell her? I'm like, I said nothing. I said like five words over the course of an hour. And she's just telling me all about like his experience. And she's like, she called you a few days before and your roommate and the East Coast answered and her name was started with an M. And I was like, oh my God, yes, it was. It was a woman whose name was M that I had even forgotten about the fact that he had called me a couple of days before. So she goes through this whole thing and she tells me all of these details about it. She talks about, uh, she she says he connects with you through music, which you feel. She goes, he, you know, he wants you to know that like when you hear that song, which for me is always like a Star Wars theme, you know, like because hmm. I did. I heard Star Wars like three times in a row once. And I was like, this is crazy. Um, you know, that's his way of connecting to you. So she and she was like, you know, he sees you have a daughter and that she swims just like you did. And, you know, I mean, all of these things that were so so pointed and so specific 
it was a very important thing. And she said, you know, he, you're having a hard time forgiving him for these things, but you're working on it, right? Um, and she said, she said very quietly, she said, I want you to know that um, of all the thing, of all the readings that I do with people that take their own life, I've never heard someone say this to me before, but he said, I'm so sorry I took the easy way out. Wow. And she said, most people have their excuses as to why they did it and why this is better and why you're better and why I'm better. But he said, I'm so sorry I took the easy way out. And I've always felt that way because it is, for me, the easy way out. It is a hard way to stay in this world, you know, especially if you're battling what this, what the bigger meaning is, is to stay in and stay. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to make it work for me and for my kids and I'm going to choose this and I'm going to choose beyond my conditioning and I'm going to choose beyond all of these things that I've been taught and I'm going to find a way to stay in it. That moment of hearing that moment was like, okay, um, yeah. You needed him to apologize. I I needed that. Yeah, not just apologize, but to say like, I I chickened out. Wow. Like that was a a stupid coward move, right? Like because you can talk to people. Everybody has an opinion about people who take their own lives. Right. But for me, it really was like you're a coward. Like you, you... you, you know, what was I not worth, you know, because you, you as a child, especially my sister too, like sure. you think like, was I not good enough for you to stay around for? Uh, but then I had to forgive. It's not about me. I had to give that back. It's not about me. Wow. Of course he wants to stay around, you know. So um, very powerful experience. That is a powerful story. Very powerful uh, experience for me. And I, I have to tell you, yeah, I am such a skeptic. Of I, this yeah. Stuff. You should got to do it, Nick. <laughs> I'm, I mean, but now I should, you because, should do it. because there's no reason, because I have to get over my own skepticism mm. and, and, and I have to have the experiences of doing these things and judge for myself what the experience was. Part of the experience of this show for me is that I, I was such a believer when I was young, I had to go through such a, a period of anti-faith skepticism. Mm. And now I'm just really interested to see what it's like for other people because I feel like there's so much out there I don't know mm-hmm. that I want to stop being feeling like I have an answer to something. Mm-hmm. And I am by nature like disbelieving of these types of events. But what you are telling me, and I know you, mm-hmm. and I trust that you are telling me this story. I feel the story being told truthfully. It's extraordinary to me, and it is uh, perplexing and fascinating, and I am going to be thinking about this, I think, for a while. You know, it's interesting to hear this stuff. Yeah. So did you ever talk to this woman again? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have. Yeah. Um, this reopened sort of my idea that I was connected to something greater than myself again, mm. and sort of to trust myself again about... Um, you know, what I, what my experience of this life is. And it did send me a little bit um, into a very whirlwind spiral of why is this possible? Why is someone able to do this? And, um, and really, I think it comes down to, after all of my research, I've been, it sent me down to a spiral of uh, 
quantum physics, physics, um, ideas of quantum en entanglement and fields and invisible fields and um, frequencies and all of these things that have sort of been around forever because there's an entire scientific community that is trying to validate ancient theory and wisdom currently as we speak. I mean, there are organizations all over the, the, the world that are working to do this, and there are some really great authors that are working to try and marry the idea of God and science and, 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 and show everybody that this is not, this is one of the same, and that these, these things that we think are mystical or invisible or impossible are, are not. Um, and so for me, I think, and I, and I talked to this woman, um, she's an, I think she's a very talented person. I mean, she's had this gift since she was younger. Um, but I think some people are able to listen in a different way. They have a very deep listening. And I, I believe that that kind of deep listening can sort of be accessed by anyone who's seeking, um, mm. seeking to do that now after doing lots of research on, on how and why these things are possible. It did connect me to this idea that, okay, this is not, it, it made me feel like, okay, either we're all connected and we're all here and it's all has meaning or, or it doesn't and you get to choose. Like you can't have one or the other. Like it all has meaning or it all doesn't. Um, Hold on. Let me sit with that for a second. <laughs> the psychic, this experience has told you, has reaffirmed or affirmed for you that there is meaning. Mm. What does meaning mean to you? Because there's, because, yeah. and, and just to give you a second to think about it, mm -hmm. the way I'm understanding it is, because one, there's a leap of, of out of the skepticism for me. And then there's now, okay, an understanding that maybe there are people that can listen to this across this like invisible field, mm -hmm. this invisible threshold mm -hmm. into what the other world is to touch the afterlife. Yeah. To touch and that people have spirits that are can be brought from the spirit realm mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and communicated through mediums. Mm -hmm. And then what that means to mm -hmm. you is that there is meaning, but what does that mean? Well, I don't think it's separate. I don't think that the spirit world and all of this is separate from the world that we're living in right now, I just think it's a different perception. Mm. I think it's just a different level of existence. I think it's a different frequency. I think it's a different, um, it's just a different expression of, like the, perhaps that we maybe all choose to live in this, this world, that the, we are deciding right now to have this experience and this idea of time and space, which doesn't really exist except for in our understanding and agreement of time and space, mm. and that there's all of this other stuff that's happening either simultaneously or, you know, I'm getting a little well, here. <laughs> that's what this is about. Um, <laughs> I want to understand your thoughts. So, I think it's really interesting. So you live in a world where you see, are you tuning yourself, is part of what your life's work now about tuning yourself more as best you can to the spiritual realm around you? A little bit, yes. It, it, it is. Um, I mean, it is, absolutely. And I've kind of jumped huh. over some really big things here. Or go back um, and tell me whatever you want. Um, or not. It doesn't yeah, matter. I mean, I had another experience. So um, a couple of years ago, I had an experience, and this is going to this is gonna blow your mind, Nick, but um, I had... <laughs> I don't know if I have more mind left <laughs> to be blown. Uh, you know, I had an experience where I woke up in the middle of the night and there was a man at the foot of our bed that I believed to be real. And he was dressed as what I would now describe as like a shaman. 
Um, and he wouldn't go away. And I went to get the bat and I went to get the dog. And I thought maybe someone had broken into our house. I mean, this is how real he was. And I wasn't on any drugs. I wasn't on any alcohol. I wasn't doing anything different. Um, and it just sort of woke. Were you alone? Was your husband there? My husband was there. And, and of course, you know, I'm freaking out. I'm like, come on, get, get up. <laughs> We're dead. You know, get up. But it was just such this physical form that sort of shocked me into something where I didn't really know what happened. And then I went to get the dog and I came back in this figure that was as solid as you standing right here, you know, five feet away from me. Wow. Um, was gone. And I was like, oh, it's not real. So I called some friends that are a little bit more, to use the word, woo-woo than, than, um, They're than, than I. Yeah. And, They're open um, to oh, They're man. encouraging. And she said, well, what did you do the night before? And I said, well, I did a little ceremony and asked for love and peace because my daughter was having a hard time sleeping and I just wanted love and peace. And, and she goes, well, well, what did you expect? And I said, well, I didn't expect to see it. You know, <laughs> I didn't expect to see love and peace standing there in the form of the this big man, you know? And so for her, it was like, well, you know, you asked for it. So like, here it is. Right. I mean, these are some of the friends that I have that are very much like matter of fact, like, yes, this is, this is, this is real. This happens. Right. And so I'm, I tow the line of the middle there. <laughs> I'm, she's laughing at my face. I've literally, I've put my hand is covering most of my face. I am my eyes are closed and I am just nodding, trying to wrap my head around this. I think it's excellent. It's really cool to hear it. So is there more to the story of when you got up with the bat and the dog? The only thing is, is that she said, well, okay, what you can do is you can ask to see this spirit again, if they are a good spirit, but if you don't want them to be that close, you can also say that. And so I was, before I went to bed the night before I, I was like, okay, if you're a good spirit, you can come again, but please not in my house. And then I woke up, um, you know, a couple hours later and that same man was outside the window. And I was like, thank you so much. I don't even need to see you again. But for me, this was another one of those things like, okay, there's more the more than meets the eye, quite literally. Um, and it started me on a very, very deep delve into um, energies and frequencies and sound and healing and all of these things. And I did come across these um, authors, like there's Bruce Lipton. Do you know Bruce Lipton? No, I think you yeah. mentioned him to me once, yeah. though, in one of the conversations that inspired us eventually coming here to have this conversation. Yeah, and he talks uh, mostly just about epigenetics and how you can change your, your genes right? How, you, how it's no longer nature versus nurture. Really, it is really nurture. Um, and nurture over time can create your nature of your genes. So your DNA can be changed by its environment. And so that uh, your thoughts, your, your, your feelings, your food, your experiences, all of those things can actually physically change your DNA. And this is not woo-woo. This is proven science now. This is the world we live in where we can change DNA. Just because you have a cancer gene that is Genetic doesn't mean you're going to express that gene. You need the right environment for that thing to turn on. If you have a family member that has cancer and they've their family member has had cancer, you are more likely to turn on that gene expression, but it doesn't mean you're going to get it. So it's very much about bringing your, uh, and this is a little bit of a tangent, bringing back your own health and your own abilities back into your own world. But then there's another guy, uh, Greg Braden, who did a lot of interesting research about um, mysticism and ancient wisdom and uh, religion. And he took genetic code and, you know, you have your certain genes and he took it and he paired those with numbers and took numbers and paired that with, I believe, Hebrew and then maybe another ancient religion to try and find out if there was a message in your DNA. Because it looks like code. 
it looks like you're coding in your gene, in your DNA. And when he did all of this research, and it took him a while, he determined that the message of DNA in every single human is God eternal within the body, and that we all have this coded message within our bodies. And the probability that it's not that message is like one in, I have no idea. God encoded in the body. Yes. God encoded or God eternal? God, God eternal God in the body. God eternal in the body. As encoded in your DNA. What does that mean to you? I mean, it's really yeah. heavy. So yeah. what does that mean? I think that's just sort of the message that um, all religion has been trying to share, or maybe the core of all, I don't want to call it religion. I would like to call it... Um, the core message that people, that people, men, um, maybe some that are a little bit more enlightened, I don't know what, what you want to say, have been trying to say is that we all have the ability to sort of, um, we are all connected. First of all, we're maybe all from the same source. Um, well, I, I mean, I believe that. Yeah. But also- 100% I believe that. But that's, a, that's in the pure study of the life chronology on earth. Sure. We all come from the same source. So that makes perfect sense. What you're saying is, is there something... So you know what I thought about? I thought this, is about not, this is lining up in some ways with what I... Yeah. This is the first time while you've been talking mm-hmm. that about this extraordinary new world to me that I'm starting to see things lining up with my experience in the sense that, that absolutely I believe things are from the same source. If you are sympathetic to the idea of the Big Bang, if you believe the Big Bang as... If we can say that we are starting to see the universe as being tracked from an original source Mm -hmm. spot explosion, whatever that means, Mm -hmm. and whatever came before, we're not going to venture to guess right now or talk about. But from there, you know, you have life that forms and we all come from one single cell and that is over over hundreds of millions of years, uh, billions of years that changes and evolves. What you're saying is there's a study that there's something deeper than just, there's a different way of seeing our connection other than just seeing that we all share much of the same DNA with the rest of the world, mm-hmm. we all share 96% of the same compounds, mm-hmm. carbon and oxygen mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this type of stuff. There's like carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, and nitrogen, mm-hmm. I think, or maybe are the four. Mm-hmm. And then all animals share 96% of the same. And mm-hmm. then we're just 4% different. Everything is just 4% different. That includes like trees. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying, though, is there's a coding message of some sort. When you say message, it is a message from the other world. So it's the first... Or the God world. So it's the first layer that says that we all have this. And the rest of the DNA, some of it we express based on our individual physical characteristics, our programming and our habits and our patterns based on what we've eaten or the things that we've taken from generations, right, which we now know we can also change. But then um, 96% of our DNA for for so long was called junk DNA. Like, it's just there. We don't know what it is. But now scientists are discovering it's not junk DNA. It really is the power to sort of you turn on any of these codes and become anything you want to be right i mean like you have you contain all that you are in in you you just don't use it um but that if you gave it the right environment you could sort of switch on these lights i thought a lot and i you know i even though um and this is for another time but even though i did not grow up as a sort of i would say a religious person i would study like the bible i was very much into trying to find, uh, for a period of time, you know, um, I was dating someone and we got involved in a Christian church and then um, someone asked me to 
take Jesus Christ to be the one and only Savior? And I said, yes, and and then and to forsake all others or something like that. And he's the only one. And I was like, oh, you mean the only one? No. And like, you know, <laughs> disappointed a whole room of people. Um, you said that in front of everyone <laughs> oh God, during your so, essential like oh baptism? God, yes. Like your, your, so, your, your coming to faith oh, moment? Because I, I had this moment where I was like, yes, you know, Jesus, this man is like an amazing prophet. He does have this thing. What an incredible message, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I think I said something. I got on my knees and the whole thing. And he, they were like, do you, do you, do you? And I was like, yes, yes, yes. And they're like, but you have to get rid of that Buddha stuff. And I was like, no. And, you know, you could, you just hear like a pin drop, right? And like every, like people cried. They were so upset because now my soul has not been saved. And obviously I'm not going back to that church anymore. But like, wow, you know. Wow, <laughs> though, you had that happen in front of ten, uh, tens and tens of people, like oh, like at least fifteen, yeah. There's all these people there, yeah, to usher you into oh, being God, saved, yeah. yeah. And you just straight up said no. I was, yeah, <laughs> I did, I did. Oh, it was. What so... happened? Did you just like you didn't enjoy the you didn't enjoy the snacks afterwards? I just was like, you yeah, just it was low out. blood sugar, and no, I was like, um, did you just walk out? Like, I it was happened? very uncomfortable. Like my boyfriend at the time was like, oh, okay. I guess it's time to go. All right. All right. Let's go. And he and he was doing this for me. And he's like, are we going back? And I was like, I don't, I don't think we are. I don't think we're going to. Wow. Um, you know, and like a lovely group of people, you know, really, I loved learning, studying the Bible, studying the stuff. I, I loved it so much. I just got to the point where I felt like I was asking to be made a choice. Like, is this person better than this person? Is this God better than this? Is this manifestation of Christ consciousness in this person better than this? And I was like, no, I don't believe that. So I can't. Uh, wow, and it was wow. a, it was a really interesting moment. But so I think about that God eternal in the body. And I was like, you know, what if Jesus, what if Jesus, what if all of his DNA code was God eternal in the body? What if he really was like sort of this creation encoded DNA in man form? Maybe, I don't know, you know? So, I mean, these are the things that I think about. Wow. So you asked me uh, a while, like, you know, how often do you talk about God? I don't talk about it a lot, but I think about it quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. I think, so we're, this is good because we're kind of, we're getting towards the end here. Do you feel like these things you're studying, these messages in the coding and the fact that you have these medium experience, you're seeing that you have a connection to the spiritual, the spiritual realm that lives around us. Is that all under the umbrella of God to you? Do you feel comfortable using the word? It seems like you feel comfortable using the word God to express all of these ways that we have ways of connecting to God in a daily way. There is a spirit world that is around us that we can, if we can attune ourselves to it, we can access it. Mm -hmm. That is an expression of God and a confirmation of God's existence. You're not going to go beyond what that is, what God is more than that. You don't want to locate God in a religion specifically. Right. Right? Right. You don't. I know. I looked, and I looked for many years, and I didn't really find it, but yeah. So you kind of feel... Okay, that's interesting. Okay. But these are expressions of what God is because there is something around us that is more than us. And so why mm. not call it God? Yeah, and I'm comfortable with God. Um, I know there's a lot of stigma around it. You know, and I looked for it in, in many religions, and I feel like the core, the core practice of most of these religious um, histories all 
pretty much say the same message. It's when you get into the business of the church and the business of religion is where things take a spin. You know, I think about like the King James Testament. He was a king, you know, like here's this book that's been published. It's, what is it, the most widely published book in the entire world? And it was interpreted by a group of people who are working for a king. I don't know. Something about that is a little funky for me. Mm. Um, you know, so uh, I feel like all of these messages, when I look at any religion or people I know who are part of a religious practice, you know, Judaism, Buddhism, um, Christianity, I feel like uh, a lot of those core messages for me line up across the spectrum. Okay. My last question is, do you have any idea how you're going to or how you are in the process of living this for your children? Oh, God, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, look, they're young, I know. They're no, young I know. now, so, you know, they're too young to get into the deep but of this. But, not, but they're not. You know? Okay, so tell me, tell me. So, like, um, you know, up until six or seven, your brainwaves are actually in a hypnotic state. So all of the messages that you're putting into the brain at that age are actually getting put into your subconscious that are laid down for the rest of your life. So then you're just running these programs, right? So what the messages that we tell our children in, in these formative years are called formative years for a reason because those are the things that they sort of subconsciously draw from. And so I think about that. My daughter's about to be seven, and why we talk about... Uh, love and we talk about that being like a core thing and trying to talk about healthy coping strategies and all these things. I haven't really given her a fundamental practice. She sees me do yoga. We do yoga together. We, you know, we do those kinds of things. Um, but, you know, I do sometimes feel like, okay, we need to sort of set a time to, to either talk about it more or experience it more. But I'm also hoping that the way we live our lives just by living by example, she's going to see how we navigate these things and not keep it from her and not yeah. keep it from them. Yeah. Wow. Really interesting shit. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to say? Is there anything that I didn't get in touch with? Oh, Did I'm you pretty sure I said quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I have always have a lot to say, but that is a lot more than I intended to for sure. Well, that is only a compliment as far as I'm concerned. Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. I think you nailed this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is really fascinating stuff. Yeah. I have never heard, I didn't know, I learned a lot of stuff here. And I, there's a lot more I'm going to be open to and look into uh, after having heard um, your experience. Well, I brought you, I brought you a book to add to your collection. <gasps> you too. did? Yeah, I did. Oh I my did. gosh. You well, yeah. What? Yeah. This is Bruce Lipton. Yeah, I think it's a good. Um, I think it's a good. Uh, this is a good opener. Yeah, I think it's a good opener. An to introduction. Wear. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. That is so damn sweet of you. You're welcome. I will read it, and it will go either on this table or right here. Yeah, like your collection. Okay, I'm gonna get you to take a picture of this with me. Okay. okay. All right. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm. And then I ran over to the house and I looked at it and I... Uh, 
made some tea and some lunch, and I realized that my air conditioning is broken. And I then, thought you were going to say, I looked at it, and I made some tears. <laughs> I made some tears, <laughs> and I cried. No. Um, no, you know, it will be beautiful. No, it's, it's going to be amazing. And then you look at it, too, and you're like, okay, what a ma- an amazing palace. Like, I live in a place that... The, the the rest of the world would be envious to have. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right? We, you know, well, look, that's exactly the headspace we want to be in as we're about to get started, right? right. I mean, right. you know, thankfulness and what is life? <laughs> and like, you know, some people have these things and some people don't. And how do you stay satisfied with the shit you have and don't mm-hmm. have? Like you have an orange tree. I have a lemon tree. I'm very, I love my lemon tree. Yeah. I can trade. Okay. I'm happy to treat. Have I have lots tree? of beautiful oranges. We, we steal from our neighbor. Oh, okay. But it's not stealing because he he is, they're very cool about it. They've told yeah. us multiple times, like you know, enjoy that because yeah. their tree creeps over on our. You know how that rules work there. Like if it creeps yes, on, your on your land, your property, you it's can yours. it's yours. So they're cool about it. Um, but what you're going to get to walk out of here with though are avocados, and don't let me forget to give you Please those do because, because I know you love them. I know. Yeah, and and and, and I don't want to forget. 